All right. Welcome. We are doing another podcast. (laughs) This one is, we're going to talk about what we see as the second stop along the way in the rogue's journey. And that is the first meeting with the transplant team at the transplant clinic. So do you want to do an intro jingle? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the first thing, what did, I'm just thinking back to what I wrote in the workbook. Um, I think the, for me, um, after, there was a lot of build up to it and a lot of organizing and it was a lot of unknowns. We had to travel from Comox Valley to Vancouver. You were sick, blah, 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 blah. But when we got into transplant and we went to the desk to check in, the first thing that... Um, the woman said to us was, oh, would, <clears throat> pardon me, would you like an oxygen concentrator? And we kind of went, yeah, and realized, I think for me then, I breathed a huge sigh of relief. Like it was the first place for me as your caregiver where I started to feel like people might really understand us and that, you know, the some of the burden was lifted. Like we're here, we're finally here, they get us. It was a it was a big effort get getting there. Start with for me. I know that it was for you just getting me in the car and across across the water on the ferry and then through Vancouver. But actually arriving at the um, transplant section for a, a review of my medical stuff and what have you was quite scary because I didn't really know what was going on um, and it was nice to get the oxygen right it was really impressive that they just offered that rather than waiting for me to ask um, which I'd kind of expected them to do but then I saw that there was other people there who were in a similar situation too but I really didn't know whether this was going to be a a worthwhile exercise or not. I hoped I would get a transplant. Um, I hoped I'd be able to, to get one anyway. But I had no idea if I would. And by that point, I was getting ready to give up anyway. It just seemed as if I was getting weaker and weaker every day and there was no respite for either of us. So it was a mixed feeling of um, a lot of hopefulness but at the same time, I was pretty cynical about what was going to happen from there on. Right. Like you just, you know, we had hope, but it was almost too much to hope. Like, yeah, I get it. Like, Yeah, I mean, like I thought, I felt that they were going to find something wrong with me. Right. Like there was already a lot wrong with me medically, but I thought that they were going to find something else. So, you know, I was really kind of afraid of the fact that we were going to have to go through what we later found out was what seemed like a barrage of questions from a number of people in different departments. And um, while some of the people that interviewed us seemed quite engaging, others seemed sympathetic, and still others appeared incredibly, not distant, but cool, because they were very factual about what they did it was more of a a yes and no situation with some of them rather than the thing of oh well tell me about it you know right like medical professional 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, none of them were doing anything wrong. It's no. just each, excuse me, each person had a different attitude, um, and so it was—I don't know—it was the worst job interview I've ever been for. <laughs> well, I think too, there were a, a couple of things also going on for us, right? And the same for them. It's like a first date. So we had no idea what the long-term process was for transplant at that point. We just knew that it had taken a big effort to get the referral, and it had taken six months. The clinic was overwhelmed and behind, and it took us six months from the time we got referred to when we landed in front of the transplant team for our first meeting. Um, and that's not the appointment where they do all of the psych evaluations and all of that. This is really the first meeting was just to, they we met with, who did we meet with? The transplant nurse. We met with an, a physician. I really can't remember. I just I remember yeah. the, at least one meeting where we did go through the psych evaluation and right. the social services and the dietary thing. Right. And... The surgeon and one or two other people. That's the one I remember. Yeah, that's what we two did. steps ahead. I'm two steps yeah. ahead. Yeah, because we went for that first meeting, and that that meeting they went through and reviewed all of the clinical files, and went yeah 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 yeah. This is and there was some brief discussion about are you prepared for this? Well, you know, yes. Like I think you said to the nurse at that time. You just looked at her and said, "If you have lungs now, I'm ready. Let's do this." Oh yeah. And uh, we didn't. We, I mean, we had no clue. They said, "Well, you have to go through this pre-assessment phase," and it's like, "Okay." <laughs> they gave us a checklist, and you know, so we were accepted into pre-assessment, and then the assessment phase for us took six months, which we'll talk about in the next podcast. Um, all what's involved in that. Some places people get admitted to hospital for the pre-assessment and it takes place over two days so they're super fast-tracked um, Canada I think all of Canada at least from what I've seen on social media and other groups um, we do it outside of the hospital for the most part but yeah so that involves going to um, a variety variety of different hospitals and specialities to get various tests done, right. get injections done, um, and to go see the dentist, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, you need sign off from a number of different. Yeah. So um, there's a a whole myriad of people that are involved in the pre-transplant stage, probably in your own area. Right. Where they do um, the tests and send the results on for you, but the majority of those people that perform those tests you probably won't be seeing again once those tests are done right um, hopefully hopefully <laughs> yes yeah hopefully. it's like when we volunteer our local authority bc transplant has some volunteering events for people who want to volunteer to help out and one is called operation popcorn so we go around in december and deliver popcorn to um, emergency room staff, ICU staff, um, all of those emergency people who kept transplant people alive and who never really see us again, right? So yeah, that's yeah. the thing. When you say, we hope we never see you again, um, we go back and say thank you. And 
There you go. Right. And I think that first meeting, there was a lot of worry and concern. Um, I mean, there's a lot of legitimate worries behind this, too, aside from the fact that you are, you know, terminally ill. Um, dying. She means dying. Dying. You are, yeah, you're, I mean, we're all terminally ill, I guess. But um, you're going in to meet with people who have the power to say yes and the power to say no to your transplant. And you don't know the process. You don't know who the people are. Um you don't know the criteria, right? No, and that was the thing, too. So for us, we had a lot of conversation after the fact of the people that we met. <clears throat> Pardon me. And who do we think they were <laughs> yeah. in the hierarchy? Um, and, it, you know, is this the person we need to charm into saying yes? And, you know, how does this all work, right? So for patients, we were going in blind for a lot of it, Um and as things turned out, I mean, we all know Tony has had his transplant and has been doing really well. Um, so, you know, test results came back well and everything was a go. But at the same time, I mean, like you had alluded to, in the future, you meet uh, the other members of the team before you're um, put onto the list. And you're still in that phase of trying to sort out who's who in the zoo. Yeah. They did give us that booklet I really wish I'd kept that. I should ask them for another copy. But that <laughs> booklet of the, so you're getting a lung transplant. I don't know if you remember the, the book. And we went back. We stayed at the Easter, um, Seal. Easter Seal House in Vancouver because we took this first trip as an opportunity to scope out. We've never had to stay in Vancouver. Um, and we knew we would be going back frequently. So we took it as a an opportunity to scope out what were the, you know, lower cost options. And we found the Easter Seal House for adults. Um, it takes kids, but it's uh, legitimately or legally a hostel. So it will accept adults. Um, patients. Patients, yeah, patients and families. Um, and then we had to coordinate the logistics of oxygen. At the time, Tony had an oxygen concentrator at home and had um, refillable bottles that of oxygen that we could carry with us. So we traveled with full bottles. Um, I was under the impression, like I didn't even know how you did that. And I phoned the oxygen place and said, well, we have two bottles and that'll last us, I forget how long two bottles last in a day, two days. It'll last us so long. And um, we're gonna be gone for three days, so can you drop off some extra bottles? <laughs> like it was soda or something, you know. Yeah. Um, and they said, um, well, no. What we do is we find out where you're staying, and then we deliver the equipment to the hotel, and you're good to go. Ooh, awesome. So that was the thing. So we got that all coordinated, and that went well. Well, it went well, except at Easter Seal House, they misspelled our last name. Instead of Duke, they had Duck. Yeah. And then, yeah, there was confusion, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we got the, yeah. was, we got the oxygen. So that, that part worked out well. Um, well it, oh, but it was July, and the place was hot, and there was no hot. air conditioning in our room at the time. They've since done upgrades, so it's all fine to go. But, yeah, so just the stuff you learn along the <clears> travels, eh? Yeah, well, and it was great having the... Um, the cylinder for the oxygen so that you could get out of the house. Um, it was kind of a bit like a, an aqualung thing for <laughs> divers. But the trouble was, it was really, really quite heavy. 
So yeah. at that point, I can barely breathe without oxygen, and yet I'm carrying this heavy bag with me, which means I need more oxygen because <laughs> I'm exerting myself more. So it was kind of one of those catch-22 things. Right. But it was very... Although it was reassuring to have the oxygen to carry around, it was very um, energy-consuming. Right. And at first, when you do it, and you've got a cannula up your nose, and you're carrying an oxygen thing, yes, well, I certainly felt really old, like the people <laughs> that I used to see hobbling around on the streets. And I thought, oh gosh, I'm a person hobbling around on the street with a tube up my nose. Yeah. So, well, it got more fun when we got you the walker. You could put oh, the oxygen God, canister yes. in the walker. But. Yeah, and then when we got as far as me going with the walker, um, of which I'm reasonably tall, so I had to stoop over. <laughs> so I'm stooped over, shuffling along, pushing this <laughs> contraption. <laughs> yeah, well, we're shut of you that. Know, um, and all these things were necessary to keep me alive and also to allow me some degree of movement. But at the time, it really does not help to improve your um, your mindset at all. It it's all overpowering in a way. All of these things that are happening all at once, because that with the lungs, my lungs anyway, I got bad, and then I got worse, and then I got worse, and then I got really, really bad in enormously quick progression. Yeah, it it was not. A slow onset. Once it made itself its presence known, it moved rapidly. Yeah, and that was scary as shit. It really was. Well, and I think that drives home the point when you were talking earlier about lugging your oxygen around. Yeah. Because at the time you got those transportable bottles, mm -hmm. you know, we talked with the supplier about you know what size bottles do you want and what's your level of being. Like you were able on short journeys like if we drove into town and yeah. you were coming with me to run an errand or yeah. whatever you were capable of carrying that bottle oh and yeah. they have a holder right it's like it goes yeah. in the holder and you yeah. sling it over your shoulder yeah. and you were capable it's yeah. as things progressed down. plus we also needed a nebulizer as well and i was lucky enough to get one on ebay because <laughs> at the time um, and this is only a couple of years ago, at the time, I could not find um, a medical supplier or a pharmacy or anywhere like that in Canada that would supply me with a nebulizer. Mm -hmm. um, but I was able to get a portable nebulizer, and that made the world a difference. Um, if nothing else, it meant that it took fear away from me for when I had panic attacks. I was able to sling this thing over my shoulder and take that with us wherever we went. And so at my designated times per day, I was able to take the inhalation medicines, but I also had the rescue medicine that I could take via the nebulizer should things get bad. So right. that was really something. Right. Well, I think that's a, a key point too, is um, how do you access um, medical equipment? Because that, like you said at the time, um, Tony, it was Tony's lungs were the transplant that he had, so his breathing was poor. And you were on just regular inhalers for a while, and then the doctor had said, well, we'll give you these nebulizers, you can get the portable oxygen, or portable air compressor with the mask, and it's yeah. more efficient. So it's like, okay, how do you get one of those? And 
You couldn't. Like, you either had to, you could rent them, and then you... They weren't portable, you, they were fixed. bloody-minded Brit. <laughs> <laughs> Even the fixed ones we couldn't find. And I see them now in pharmacies. I yeah. notice them, and it's like, hey, we couldn't get them. There was a big problem, and, you know, you can't yeah. have these in Canada. No, yeah. no, no. So we ordered one from the States, and it arrived, and everything was fine. But then you found a portable one online. Yeah. So the portable one operates on a battery and the battery also has a car charger so one of our concerns with um, providing oxygen and ongoing medication care for Tony was that when we lived semi-rurally if we had a power cut your concentrator would go down but then you got the oxygen bottles so we were okay for oxygen but the nebulizer if we had a power cut what would happen to your ability to nebulize Um, And so that's why we got that travel um, thing. So it was just a matter of thinking in the back of your head, what's the emergency preparedness plan, I think? Yeah, Yeah. um, oh, and the the portable nebulizer was at Parry Trek. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I'm not getting paid for this advert, but Parry Trek nebulizer, very, very good, highly recommended. You can probably get one for 150 bucks or less. It's a lot of money when you're not able to work. Yet one. <laughs> yeah. We'll put the link on the web page when we post this. Yeah. But, yeah. So, I know we go off topic, but a bit back to our first meeting. Um, and I guess a lot of our sidetrack conversation here was more about logistics of getting you to Vancouver rather than meeting with the team. Um, well, we didn't really meet the team. We met a couple of people from the team. And at that point, the decision is made... Um, you know, your files look good. We're okay to put you into pre-transplant assessment. What are your feelings? Do you want to go through pre-transplant assessment? Everyone says, yeah. Um, and then what happened? They gave us a book. They gave us this booklet. It was a fairly big booklet. Needs some updating. <laughs> needs a lot of updating. It needs a lot of updating. Especially the page a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you got the booklet. So you could go away and read. Um, And, of course, they told us, you know, if you have questions, call us. But with our experience through the medical system, and we hadn't been fully, um, you know, we've only met transplant once. You don't believe them when they say they're your team. But you will come to know that they are, it is a team. Um, You're about to be spoiled in the medical system because we've since expected that same level well who's your program social worker i want to talk to them and they just stare at you we don't have one of those oh um and they will become your team if you've made the decision to go through this so we had the booklet um we kind of laughed it's a bit out of date um i still hear people refer to there's some older people who are going through pre-transplant assessment who are looking forward to getting their pager it's like well, that part's wrong. You just they, you just give them your cell number nowadays. It's the twenty first century. Um, so yeah, so we we did have the booklet to read, and we were told to phone if we have any questions. Um, and of course, I mean, I think overall we were just stunned. Our goal was to get you there, to get the appointment, and to get you moving forward. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and, and at the time. So, Mission accomplished. It seems like a short um, appointment. And it was a relatively short appointment. We were there for a couple of hours, though. But, you know, it, 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 it was a big one emotionally, I think, for us. 
Absolutely. Here we've landed. Your nerves are on edge. Uh, as a potential transplant patient, I was tired, weak, uh, overwhelmed by the whole thing that was going on. Uh, I did have to sit around for a little bit, so that frustrated the heck out of me. Um, <laughs> just because everything was an effort. And we'd yeah. go and see a person, and that was great. And we'd come out, and then we'd wait for a little while. And then we'd go and see another person, at which my body is saying, oh, God, not again. What What now? Yeah. And it was an effort. What now? And I was so disoriented by everything and yeah. actually totally overwhelmed. It was the, really the first time that I'd seen Vancouver. Um, so just arriving in the city was stunning for me. Uh, I wasn't awe inspired. <laughs> I was just overwhelmed. It was like right. a big Lego set. Um, well, it's, a, it's, it's a, a huge been, deal to get you there. Like you think yeah. about how sick you were. We've got to get the house from my standpoint. We get the house organized, tidy, make sure that we have someone to look after the cats. We're going to be gone for two days because we have a two-hour appointment in another city. It's a 45-minute, one hour, 45 minute, one-hour drive from our house to the ferry terminal. Then you wait an hour to get on the ferry. Then you get on the ferry, and that's an hour and a half. And then we have to figure out how to get to... Well, then we were going to... We're not going to the hospital yet because we traveled the day before. This is a three-day event for two hours' worth of medical tests. We get to the hotel, get you sorted... Then I get everything unpacked. We get ourselves supper. You know, yeah. it was a, it, it's a long journey with somebody who is in, well, you're in chronic pain as well. Yeah. And you can't breathe. Like, people have to remember when you're a transplant patient, like your thing was you were on oxygen, but to even just to get up and walk down the hall to go to the loo was an onerous task. Oh, yeah. I'm, so... so everything's an effort. Yeah. Everything has been an effort for years. <laughs> now. So you're worn out, you're overwhelmed, you're emotionally, you've had it. Well, we've had it then. That was three years ago we'd had it, and we're still, yeah. we're just at the point now, two years post-transplant, where we're starting to feel like we can breathe again. Yeah, um, yeah it's a yeah. long every, journey. Uh, well, I'll just come up with a thing. Every step was a pain, but every step was a victory. Yeah. Yeah, it was because I could take a step, but I didn't know if I'd have enough energy or enough breath to take a second step. Yeah. And that's how I had to do everything for a number of years. Yeah. And I now got a step counter thing <laughs> yeah. on, on my phone, and I found out the other day that I did over 8,000 steps in an afternoon, so yeah. that's not bad. Well, well, that was great. And, look, we, <laughs> and we didn't just, do much. No, well, we did. We decided we... You, People know we've moved, so we moved from the Comox Valley to Victoria, so we can now be closer to follow-up medical care, um, and for me to find employment. Um, but we went out, it was Victoria Day, and we didn't even have plans to do anything that day, and you found out there's a parade. It's like, oh yeah, we live in Victoria, it's Victoria Day, I wonder if there... So we walked out to the parade, and we watched the parade, and we talked to some people, and then you have to book for the clinic and I'm busy doing other things so I can't accompany you so we decided we'd fly them so we went down and booked the float plane um, and then we wandered around downtown yeah. yeah and we got home and 
You know, you looked at your step counter. Holy cow. You, you <laughs> couldn't go 10 feet from your chair to the loo two uh, years ago. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. sitting up in bed to go in the, the middle of the night became an impossibility. As mm-hmm. in, I, you know, during the night, I had to use, um, what do you call a bed bottle thing. Yeah. Um, and a even year when ago. we were walking around with the uh, walker, it, Beth was a little bit embarrassed, as was I, <laughs> that I'm pushing this walker around. Not only do I have an oxygen still in, in it, but I have a blue bottle ready to pee. So um, little and, and energy. You, and don't that, tell anyone, but he stole it from the hospital. Yeah, but so little energy at the time that there was a couple of occasions where we were in public type areas and I couldn't, there's no way I could get to the yeah. washroom in time. You got caught out. So. I needed that bottle and as discreetly as possible. Yeah. I had to yeah, use it, it wherever I was. Yeah, it wasn't hanging off the handlebars of your walker. We yeah, had it. It was visible most yeah. of the time. But, you know, I had to use it there and then because there was no way I was going to make it sort of 20, 30 paces to a washroom right. and then have to wait in line for right. the space. Like, you do what you do when you do it. And that's <laughs> it, basically. I guess that was one good thing of living semi-rurally. The number of times you got out of the car and, and just you went. couldn't see. Nobody could see us. And he's peeing in the bushes. Don't tell the new people who bought our house. <laughs> and that's why so it doesn't I, I grow guess, grass there. Yeah, just to our transplant natter here, just to wrap it up. Good. I guess the success is good. <laughs> good well. <laughs> I cornered Tony. It's too early in the morning for him. Yeah. Um, I, I think what you had said earlier about how um, it's kind of an and-both situation. You're in a great deal of pain, and you're moving forward. And it's sometimes it's out of sheer bloody-mindedness. Oh, or, yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, it's, and you can only see that two foot in front of you right and that's your target for the day yeah and that it's a moving target thank goodness but you keep striving for it i mean like it's i'm not being heroic it's just this is what you do right um you do or you don't if you don't you die yeah and in the context of the bigger whole process of transplant and that journey once you get there and you know you think of all the things we've done since you know, we're sitting here racking our brains trying to even remember that first meeting. And what did, is that when we talked to the whole team? No, it wasn't. We talked to two people. We showed up at Transplant, and it was, you know, a really low-key meeting. It took us a lot of logistics and physical effort um, to get there. But that was, uh, I think that was the turning point, right? Yeah. Like, for such a meeting that you don't remember in all of it. Yes. That oh. was important that we got there. Yeah, as we're doing the um, this pre-transplant thing, we'd just like to express thanks and gratitude to, that's the same thing, uh, mm-hmm. thanks and gratitude to Carol Sorsteth, yeah. who um, was the lady who was in, constantly in contact with us throughout this process right. and who was able to shepherd us through much of the pre-transplant uh, assessment process. Right. And she was the nurse we were talking about during pre-transplant. And 
I just remember Carol in a lot of the meetings where we're sitting stunned in front of a physician who's talking. And my background's in biology and I worked in biotech, so I have a half a clue what the guy is saying. But, you know, emotionally you're just stunned. And, you know, he's reading through results or they're asking you questions about this or that. And Carol's in the background like nodding her head. It'll happen, she kept saying. It'll happen. Hang in there. It'll happen. So, yeah. Um, big hugs to Carol. Thank you, Carol. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. Um, so, yeah, I guess this is where the theme song ending plays it. Okay, <laughs> you sing the ending and I'll oh, find God. the off button. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning in and listening to us natter. <laughs>